this week on the nonprofit news feed for the week of January 24th. Almost done with January. I guess that's not news to you. We're talking about some red flags at nonprofits backing U.S. Capitol riots, IRC data breaches, and some other news summaries. Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. We're making our way through the winter. It's almost spring. It's almost here. You know what? As long as each day gets longer by a tiny amount, I'm good. Because I'm like, tomorrow, there's going to be that much more sun. I agree. I I don't know how our Canadian friends do it. But anyhow, going into our lead story for today, we our first story comes from some great reporting from NPR, National Public Radio. And this is about an organization called Patriot Freedom Fund. Now, this fund is a registered nonprofit. However, its main objective is raising money to support people charged with crimes involving the events of January 6th, 2021. So the main purpose of this organization is as a fundraising vehicle to support people who rioted, insurrected, whatever verb uh, makes sense to you. And the reason this is getting a lot of traction is because I think that there's a, a feeling that there are loopholes or even just the slow process of bureaucracy is slow to respond um, to organizations using the vehicle of a 501c3 nonprofit for political gain. So this organization is backed by far-right nationalists, chiefly Steve Bannon, and it's sourcing donations via cryptocurrency. But nonprofit experts say that it would fail on any kind of transparency grading. Even backers themselves are really upset with the lack of transparency with this organization. There's almost no independent oversight. The board, the three members of the board are all the same person who also leads the organization. Um, they're taking in tons and tons of money, but it's a registered nonprofit. It hasn't yet filed with the state of New Jersey where it's located out of and Quite frankly, it seems like a mess. So, George, I think the takeaway here is we have an organization, technically a nonprofit, raising vast amounts of money for really overtly questionable causes. Um, what's the solution here? Do we need like faster responses to using this basically, you know, uh, tax advantageous uh, categorization for potentially subversive? Causes? I don't know. What's your take on this? I found myself reading the definitions of 501c3 according to the IRS, including in the 501c3 statement of code here. It, it being the organization, may not attempt to influence legislation as a substantial part of its activities, may not participate in any campaign activity for or against political candidates. I guess if you pair that against, you know, what maybe the ACLU could find itself doing in terms of protecting free speech um, at all costs, maybe that goes against what you're talking about with an organization that potentially is making the like incite to violence against political figures safer because you have a complete like sort of legal structure behind you to, to defend that type of action. Um, feels like it 
uniquely may cross a line, but you have to be careful when drawing those lines because again, see how you may not agree if you look through all of the ACLU's work. I do think this falls over <laughs> that line for me. Uh, however, I'm glad I'm not in charge of, of, of managing this, but it's something to, to look at. I think NPR did a good job of, of covering it. Clearly we are learning more and are more shocked as a result of the events of January 6th, Capitol riots. It's um, not surprising. You know, it's under the category of, when I say that, all nonprofits are not necessarily good. <laughs> and it's in the eye of the beholder and the person person running it. It's a tax classification, uh, and it has to. we have to be careful with uh, how we look at it. On the plus side, you do get a tremendous amount of transparency because all of those dollars will need to be reported as to where they went and how they were spent for <laughs> the stated public good of the organization that qualifies them for that tax exemption. But you know, this seems like more, uh, more of a problem, uh, as the NPR article points out. Yeah, George, an interesting other thread there is that it seems that a lot of donations are actually being being sourced via crypto. And on the podcast here, we're a big fan of crypto donations. The downside of that, though, is when you start getting into the crowdfunding environment, the crypto crowdfunding environment, um, it raises the potential for lots of money to move around in dark, hard to trace places. Um, so something I think we'll probably see more people talking about um, moving forward. I want to touch on that though for a second. If you're talking about like dark money and this like, you know, the the sort of air of nefariousness that comes with crypto because of history of Silk Road and those pieces. You want to know something that's really hard to track? Try to find campaign contributions when it's been routed through these special interests groups. You want to know what's hard to track? A stack of $100 bills being buried, sent and moved. You know what's Actually, the most easy to track transaction, arguably in the history of humankind, exchanging money are things printed on the blockchain. And I know I sound like uh, maybe extreme in terms of like, oh, wow, he was really into this. However, I want to come to this fact that you can track every one of those donations to the wallet. Now, it's hard sometimes to figure it out, but you can track where that wallet got its money and where that wallet got its money in a very transparent way. So I, I think this year's going to see a lot more uh, cryptocurrency changing hands in the political spheres for sure. But I, I have to laugh because you're, you're absolutely right, Nick. This is going to be a narrative that's like, oh, look at this you know, dark money being transferred in the land of cryptocurrency. And then using that as a, as a pall upon the whole thing, hopefully not dissuading why I jump on this narrative, hopefully not dissuading the, you know, the good folks, whoever, and however you define that from saying like, wait a minute, it's a form of currency. And by the way, it's far more trackable than the way those dollars have already been finding their paths to, uh, to nonprofits. 
And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that we're just going to see more and more of this, this trend. It was super interesting to see the midterms with lots of uh, really intense competition and focus on local races, which, you know, national races stole the attention in 2020. But uh, 2022, it's all about those local congressional races. So we will see how this unfolds. Mm, so true. Yeah. All right, moving along, talking about our conversation about data, don't have a tremendous amount to kind of analyze here, but as reported by the nonprofit Times, the International Committee of the Red Cross um, and the Red Crescent movement have been targeted by hackers in what amounts to a major, major, major data breach. Nearly 515,000 clients of the organization have had data stolen according to the organization. And these clients were part of um, the Red Cross's effort to separate people, quote unquote, separated by migration, violence, war, and other causes. This is not good. <laughs> these, a lot of these organizations have lots and lots of data about people, stakeholders, and beneficiaries. And it looks like in this case, that data was stolen. And what's so upsetting about this is that those clients, the people that they are helping, are some of the world's most vulnerable people, people fleeing war, persecution, and other humanitarian crises. Uh, and I think just the takeaway here is that um, cyber defense and um, you know being vigilant is going to be increasingly more important every single year, as I think hackers and nefarious groups are figuring out that nonprofits and large NGOs are sitting on just as much data as governments. I want to not speculate too much as to the motivations and the cause of it. The actual article does have Log4j in the overall image, but it is not clear to me that that's the case. It is stated that login information for around 2,000 volunteers and staff um, were, were compromised. And so, you know, we'll remind as many times as necessary that doing the fundamentals of cybersecurity starts with people. People are the first vector that show the most vulnerability for your organization. I'm not saying that that's the case here. The more sensitive the data, the more precautions, the more investment must be taken. I don't and won't necessarily speculate on you know who was behind the attack, but you could imagine, Nick, as you said, if you're dealing with people in sensitive, violent, war-torn areas interested in not drawing the ire of their governments or persecuted groups. Like you could imagine who might want those data and may lead to you protecting it even more. And as nonprofits step up on the international stage to do the work of helping uh, this type of migration and support for, for families and others, Oof, gosh, you know, Spend, spending the time and spending the money on, on cybersecurity is, uh, is a big investment. And you know what's hard? 
it shows up as overhead. It shows up as, you know, sometimes depending on how you look at it, not program related at all. And frankly, it's not what's sexy to funders. It's not showing you because you only see a cybersecurity breach when something goes wrong. You miss the 364 days where the 515,000 people that, you know, they're saying they lost information on, you don't see the 364 days where they were protected. (laughs) We see this day. You see the point of failure. You don't see the points of success. So on the other side of the coin, let me just bring a narrative back to the folks listening that are doing a good job. You know what? In your annual reports and your meetings, you're like, hey, here's the number of days since hack. And if you've never been hacked, congratulations. Put that counter up there, but let that be seen as a as a as a success metric, frankly, because I think you need to reward the days unhacked in an ecosystem and cyber environment like this. I agree. And I think it's also about building culture of vigilance around people. George, you very famously at Whole Whale. Um, have helped us increase our capacity to identify phishing threats. And that in and of itself has helped us keep us and our clients safe. And I think that that is, to your point, it's unsexy, but it should be celebrated. And it's important for leadership to emphasize that as part of that capacity building. We've got a really good plan to hack whole whale this year. Oh boy. <laughs> Am I going to be the point of failure? <laughs> Once bitten, twice worn? Is that the saying? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Moving on um, to the summary, our first article is actually reported from a uh, source, the Spokesman Review from Spokane, Washington, but it's about a story uh, in the Midwest, and that is that Ch- Chicago Public Media their board has voted to move forward with the acquisition of the Chicago Sun-Times. The Chicago Sun-Times, of course, the daily local newspaper there, um, is being rolled into this nonprofit journalism outfit, Chicago Public Media. Um, Chicago Public Media um, runs what the article says is a resurgent public radio station, WBEZ-FM, 91.5. And it seems that they're trying to roll in the paper into this as well. Um, George, this is something we talk about on the podcast a lot, the the nonprofit journalism angle, but this is a pretty big one. It'll be interesting to see if it could help the Chicago Sun-Times in in the long run. Yeah, they're saying that the Combined entities will have nearly 300 employees. They're not planning staff reductions post-merger, according to the spokespeople. And it's the trend that we have followed and seen that the media industry is beginning to turn to nonprofits and funding and public support because of the public good it serves, which is interesting. I'm excited to to see these types of mergers and hope that it will maintain the, the types of papers with a history of reporting and in-depth journalism that um, this group has had. Absolutely. Moving into our next story, less exciting, but this is about the FBI investigating a Minnesota nonprofit for allegedly misusing millions of dollars meant to feed kids. The FBI basically raided this organization. And according to the warrant, 
the organization called Beating Our Future, uh, their federal funding grew from 3.4 million in 2019 to more than 197 million in 2021. It seems that there was some kind of fraud, embezzlement, siphoning, whatever um, happening in there. This is a big one. And it goes back to our trend, non all nonprofits are created equal. And George, I think what we usually say when we hear stories about this is uh, double check the books. Yeah, the FBI doesn't wake up at, wake up on a Thursday to, to raid folks, but they were trying to defraud the U.S. Department of Agriculture of millions of dollars. And unfortunately, funneling money from federally funded child nutrition programs um, and then effectively laundering that allegedly for personal real estate, cars, and other luxury items. I mean, see the IRS.gov for reasons why excess benefit transaction <laughs> having substantial influence over the organization um, is part of the definitions for 501c3. Um, it, it's sad to see, but uh, in, important that that oversight is, is occurring because one bad apple, unfortunately, can spoil the bunch when it comes to saying like, see, all of these programs don't work. Look at this one example. And it's uh, part of the narrative of transparency um, that I think you have to create, remind, and then remind them that you reminded them that, you know, here is how the, the dollars get spent. Moving into our next story, this comes from the Wisconsin State Journal, and it's kind of an interesting story. It's about a nonprofit in Madison, Wisconsin, is proposing a $50 million plus um, low income housing project um, to replace a kind of sprawling, um, you know, un unused um, zoning within uh, Madison. And the project would include 250 subsidized apartments and three buildings, a small park, um, on-site parking. Uh, but the narrative gets a little bit more complicated because apparently where the housing would be built would be somewhat adjacent to airfields where um, within the boundary of the U.S. Air Force's F-35 fighter jet program, and so this brings up lots of com complicated conversations about noise level and quality of life and environmental concerns for a project that's otherwise helping folks who are generally considered low income and affordable housing. Uh, so there's kind of a lot of different angles you can tack here, um, but I'm curious what you think, George. Um, It's difficult dealing with affordable housing in large cities and the sort of NIMBY effects of that. And to see, you know, I like on one hand, large proposals for large intractable problems. And uh, seeing that a nonprofit posing it at least opens up the dialogue. Unfortunately, you do also have a, a tough history in American urban areas where you know, the quote projects, you know, housing being built in undesirable locations, locations that flood, locations that are loud, locations that are potentially unsafe, locations that potentially don't have the city services to effectively support the population occur. I don't know enough about this to say uh, one way or the other, um, but it's a, it's a good conversation and one at the very least where even if you propose something like this, you have a 
you have a place to stand to then negotiate saying, you're right, it is too noisy here. What about, <laughs> what about that land over there? Because we all agree this is a problem and you can at least then uh, move from it and to, to solve the issue, but in a way that doesn't create another one is difficult. And this just highlights the like, on the first place, you're like, oh, that's great. Here's a, a large development that might end up reducing the cost of housing, but not without consequence. It's a good thing to look at and consider if you are in this field and trying to create these types of projects. Absolutely. I'm always reminded reading local articles around here that, um, at least by me, every single construction project is highly controversial. <laughs> and <laughs> there's so many news articles and it's it's a whole thing. Building in New York City is tough. <laughs> um, and as it turns out, apparently in other places as well. Um, but an interesting story. How about a feel good story, George? I feel like we always need a feel good story after always we've made it through story. our news. Start uh, throwing some more feel goods along the way. All right, what do we have? This is from uh, localpatch.com, but it's about a Bay Area student-run nonprofit offering free STEAM virtual classes. So uh, STEAM, of course, being science, technology, engineering, art, math. And the idea is to help students who otherwise wouldn't have access um, to be able to learn up on things like 3D printing, robotics, graphic design, app development, Java, Python. Um, all that cool stuff and yeah just exciting to see um you know topics like these um being offered to students who in many districts may not have direct access uh to be able to build up these skills um so cool to see programs like this great student-led and you know seeing the extended how do you provide services to people that are effectively you know learning remotely, um, while not ideal, is a good story to end on. Thanks, Nick. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to Greg Thomas Music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 